this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. So our passage today is from the Gospel of Matthew. It's the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And it's the Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you want to find it with your Bibles or pew Bibles or your apps. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And these are one of, this is one of those stories that I know as uh, Christians, we say Jesus was both fully human and fully divine, but I tend to think we're more comfortable with the stories that lean towards the fully divine part and less towards this messy human stuff like being tempted. And, you know, uh, the Gospel of Mark really mentions this wilderness story in just a couple of short sentences. The Gospel of John, the last gospel to be recorded doesn't mention this story at all. It's Matthew and Luke who really tell us about what happened in those 40 days in the wilderness. And I invite you to read Matthew with me this morning. It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Well, today happens to be the first Sunday in the Christian season of Lent. Lent is 40 days, not counting Sunday. Lent Lent is a time of prayer, reflection. It's a time for repentance, to look within our own Selves and to deepen our walk with Christ. Now, the early church saw that 40 days seemed to be a significant time. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai before coming down with the law. Jesus, here today, tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. The early church noticed 40 seemed like a good amount of time for big things to happen. And this story is often heard during the season of Lent. And now you and I, when we talk about being tempted, we sort of use it almost 
casually. You know, when the server comes to your table at the restaurant and says, would you like to see the dessert menu tonight? And you go, oh, that's tempting. Oh. But the tempting here, it really, truly, the Greek here in the New Testament, more probably appropriate is to think of it as a test, a time to be tested, a time to show what you know, what you've learned. And so this moment in the wilderness is a time of testing for Jesus to show us who he is, but maybe more importantly, show himself who he is. Jesus is tired, he's hungry, he's hangry, or in my family, we call it the despairs. And this can happen to anyone, um, adult, children, dog. It's the moment where you suddenly think everything seems stressful and hard, and you're never going to make it all through, and then you eat a snack, and suddenly the world is right again, and you were like, oh, I was just hungry. Everything's okay again. I'm fine. Jesus is there. He is there. He's hungry. He's tired. He's vulnerable. He's alone. There's no one and no one to depend on, and that's when the testing comes. He's tested in three different ways at three different times, and each time... The tempter begins the very same way. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, turn that bread to stone. Take away your hunger. Get rid of that hunger you're feeling right now. If you are the Son of God, jump off this building and let God protect you. If you're special, you'll be protected. If you are the Son of God, Rule. Rule all the kingdoms of the world. I'm sure you could do a better job than the Roman Empire was doing. Claim your authority. And there are a few observations that I really want you to take notice about with these tests. First, what does the tempter use to tempt Jesus? Scripture. Each time he quotes Scripture. And each time... Jesus quotes scripture back. It's a reminder to us all that not everyone is using God's word with the intention for good. Jesus quotes scripture right back to him. I have mentioned this before, but I'll just say it again. If, you, if you've never taken the time to memorize some scripture, I really encourage you to do that. Uh, because you never know when a certain moment you might need to have those words close to your heart to remind your own self of who you are and who you belong to. Jesus is able to quickly quote scripture right back because he had a closeness and familiarity with God's word. And another thing I want you to notice about these tests is how reasonable they are. They're so reasonable. Maybe not reasonable for you and me, but they're so reasonable. They make sense. Turn these stones to bread. Why are you sitting out here hungry? Let God protect you and save you. Rule the world. You could do such a better job if you really are the Son of God. See, he's hitting Jesus with his identity. If you really are God's Son, trying to get Jesus to question himself. I'll never forget a workshop I went to on this passage that pointed out how 
that all of these tests are all good things that are just out of place. All of these make perfect sense. Why not just feed your hunger? Why not let God protect you and save you and then everyone would never question or doubt? Why not rule and show the power that you have? Isn't that how temptation works? It seems so good. It seems like we are using it for the better. I deserve this. I've earned this. I'm going to make everybody's lives better. I'm not hurting anyone. This is ultimately how these tests come to us. I think of the story of the fall from Adam and Eve. And when did trouble start coming their way in that story? When they began to distrust God. What do you know, God, that we don't? I think of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They were sick and tired of eating manna. They were wondering when the destination was going to be. And what did they do? Let's worship a golden calf. Maybe this golden calf will come through for us better than Yahweh is. They distrust. They have a trouble trusting Jesus during those long hard 40 years, God, in the wilderness. They have trouble test, trusting God. And here is Jesus. He's in the wilderness. He's alone. He's tired and hungry. If you are the son of God, he's being tested by his very identity. Just prove it. And yet, Jesus chooses a different way. He never loses his trust in this story. He doesn't lose sight of who he is and who he's called to be, even when it's hard and scary. And in the next 30 plus days, as we hear the stories and journey to Jerusalem with Jesus, he will show us who he is. Not a savior who comes to the world by seizing power and might, but a savior who lets that go. And not one of us can relate to these kinds of tests. I mean, maybe a few of you in here today are sometimes tempted for world domination, but that's not on my list of things that are hard to deal with. But at some time or another, some point in your life, you will find yourself in the wilderness. You will know what it is to be lost and scared and uncertain. And your wilderness is not going to look like Jesus' wilderness. In fact, it's probably going to look a whole lot different. Your wilderness can look like the graveyard. It can look like your boss's office that you just heard you've got to leave. It can be school. It can be work. It can be home after a big blowout fight and you get in your car and you wonder how you're ever going to come back from that. I remember when I was a chaplain in a hospital, a father had lost his daughter in an accident, and she was gone, and he didn't want to call anyone. He was there by himself, and he sat there with her for quite a long while, and I was there with him too, uh, sometimes sitting with him, sometimes in or out, and finally at some point, the hospital staff told me, no, it's really time. He, he, needs, he needs to go and move on. And so I told him, and he didn't try to fight me on that. And I told him I would walk out with him. 
And I remember us walking out down that hospital hallway, and it was out into the parking lot, and he said, how do I just get in the car and go? A wilderness can look like a hospital parking lot, too. The wilderness can be anywhere and any place where you feel lost and alone and unsure of the path ahead. And it's right there in the wilderness, right there in that place, when we decide who we are going to trust. You know, one of my favorite authors said, you can get the monkey off your back, but the circus never leaves town. And it's in those moments that we decide how we're going to handle what we do when we feel like we're in the wilderness. Peter Gomes, was the, he's the late professor and minister of Harvard Memorial Chapel at Harvard University, and so his congregation was often mostly college students. And he used to say that he would write the same sermon every year, and he called the sermon, How Are You Going to Live After the Fall? And he writes, Innocent pagans that most of them are, they assume that I'm asking what their plans are for after September, but I'm not. I'm asking them what they're going to do after their first dreams fall from the sky. What are you going to do, I ask them, when you don't get the job, when you don't get the girl or the boy, when you are brushed aside or hurt, when you rise up to treat you as you treated your parents? What are you going to do? What are you going to do after the fall? We may be tempted especially in those moments, to run to anyone or anything who promises to take away the pain or the fear. We may be desperate to just try to fix it ourselves, to just take control. But what we do in the wilderness, well, Jesus shows us what he chose to do. He chose to trust. He dares to trust who he is, and who he belongs to. And just in case you know today in your heart of hearts this morning that you don't need to have anybody like me tell you about the wilderness because you're already there, I hope, no matter what you face, that you find the courage to trust in what you cannot yet see or know. Trust the one who has the path ahead, who has promised to never leave us or forsake us, because we know in these next days and weeks he will show us again and again that there is no pain, no hurt, no betrayal, no wilderness so big that his love cannot reach us because he has been there. Trust who you are. Trust who you are and who you belong to. I was remembering this week what I happen to think hap must have been another wilderness night of Jesus' life. And it is on the night when he was betrayed and he had already celebrated that meal in the upper room with his disciples. He had already washed their feet and given them a new commandment to love as he has loved them. And Judas has run off to do what he's going to do and Jesus goes to the garden to pray. He asks his disciples to stay up and pray with them, but they can't do it. They all fall asleep one by one. 
But do you remember the prayer that Jesus prayed that night? Do you remember what he prayed? Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. It was trust, trust. Remember that prayer. You may just need it someday.